see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. I'm here with Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi, Andy. And in today's episode, we want to tackle the cinematic world of Christopher Nolan and his latest release, Tenet, in particular. In arguably very challenging times for cinemas and moviegoers, Tenet became through the months of lockdown and closed cinemas all over the world a beacon of hope to reignite moviegoers' passion for the cinematic experience as opposed to streaming services. With many other major movie releases in summer like Mulan or Wonder Woman 1984 released either via streaming or pushed further back and further back, the expectations and hopes in Tenet were skyrocketing. In this episode, we will discuss and review the movie itself, but also have a deeper look into the work of Christopher Nolan, his tropes and themes, and his impact on modern cinema. So Sam, let's kick off with a small retrospective of Christopher Nolan. Can you tell us what kind of filmmaker he is and which movies you've seen from him? But of course. English director Christopher Nolan, born in 1970, has become a major voice, first in independent and soon after in mainstream cinema. Already his second feature, Memento, in 2000, a movie starring Guy Pearce and told backwards, set the standard for his experiments on issues of time and identity. He directed roughly 10 films between 1998 and 2018, all of them widely admired by critics and audiences alike. After the radical narration of Memento, he followed it up with the excellent thriller Insomnia, the remake of a Scandinavian original thriller. He became widely known with the reboot of the Batman films, directing Christian Bale as Batman in all three of the new trilogy, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. This allowed him to carry his highly ambitious projects into mainstream cinema. The magician's duel, that is the prestige, the space and time-bending sci-fi epic Interstellar, and most recently, before this year, stunning retelling of the battles at Dunkirk during World War II. In all of his films, there is an indelible style and consistency in his interests for the relativity of time and space, but also of movie-telling, of storyline itself. He mixes soundscapes and landscapes, overpowering musical scores and special effects, while at the same time trying to retain a strong emotional core and an investment with his characters. In the best sense, Nolan's cinema, together with maybe David Fincher's, is the most exciting and interesting further development, challenging visual and narrative conventions and elaborating on what movies really are a fictitious construction of characters in time that he then often masterfully deconstructs into his own unique vision on the passing of time. I personally find all of his films extremely satisfying and impressive, but I have to admit that I'm not really one to get them the first time round. Except for his very first film following in 1998, I've seen all of them and I've adored them all for their ambitious scope. Most of all, I've loved Inception, I think, because of its emotional depth and stunning narrative and visual ideas. And because 
I've noticed that with Nolan Cinema, you enjoy his movies much more the second time round, which I guess is a great achievement for any director. I do believe that the quality of his output so far puts him at the very top of my list of present day directors, on par with maybe Olivier Assayas, Luca Guadagnino and Quentin Tarantino. How about you, Andy? How do you feel about Nolan's cinema? I would say that I enjoyed actually all of the movies I've seen so far from him. I think I skipped Dunkirk last year, to be honest, and I also haven't seen Following, his first movie. But of course, I've seen the, the Batman trilogy. I really loved um, The Prestige with Christian Bale again and Hugh Jackman, which I think was a really great, inventive and also surprising period thriller, so to speak. I wasn't too impressed by Interstellar because I think there it somehow, for me, was too heady, too complex, too abstract. There were a lot of themes in it. And I think this one, even though I thought the cast was great and the images were stunning, it really it didn't really touch me in a way that probably Inception has, which I think was really, when it came out, a really a modern masterpiece. I think it was really innovative in terms of music, of the images, but also at the core, it's a very mainstream heist thriller. But all these other elements, which are then so intelligently put together, really make it something special. And I think in that respect, Christopher Nolan is clearly, as you mentioned it, a highly influential director, not only in his style, but also the way he really mixes mainstream um, topics or themes or genres and then elevates them into something of his own. And I think this is something that not many directors have these days and which, which I enjoy a lot. I also think that Nolan cinema is one of the only ones that you really have to see almost as a whole. You know, the more movies you see by him, the more you like his style. I was very confused, I remember, with, I think, Memento when I saw it the first time around, even though it was fascinating in terms of the construction of the narration. But the more I see him, the more I understand that he, in a way, is telling like one big movie. You know, it's one of these directors mm -hmm. that, that you find, uh, I see that with Polanski and Allen and sometimes with Hitchcock as well, with my favorites from the past, that they have a certain overarching idea and they put it into different forms different stories but it's almost as if you watch an entire movie over i don't know 20 hours in the case of of nolan and i felt the same about the newest release that we're going to discuss in a minute but i think that's really something that is often hard to do for directors who get so many different projects that they even have a chance to produce movies that are so consistent in the themes they continue talking about. And I agree with you, I wasn't a big fan of Interstellar, a much bigger fan of Inception. I think that's kind of the perfect one. Plus, he once said it's his uh, homage to James Bond and specifically Undermatched Secret Service. And I've always loved him for that statement, of course. <laughs> but even with interstellar you can tell it's it's a reworking of these themes in a sci-fi context and now he puts it into kind of a new context with tenet and i think that makes it really interesting it's it's almost as if he is using his uh, mindsets to talk about all kinds of different stories and human experiences and therefore create something that that holds together as a whole. And I think also the the fact that, that he uses 
many times the same actors and actresses. So I think he has very close bonds with, let's say, Michael Caine or Christian mm -hmm. Bale. Um, I think now also Kenneth Branagh was in two of his movies. So there is also this continuity of faces and, and actors who pop up time and time again in the movies and also link them somehow. Mm -hmm. I would say that maybe if you look also at the Batman trilogy, I, I wasn't too impressed by the Batman Begins when it came out. I think I watched it and I was like, okay, yeah, it's a new take on, on Batman and this iconic story. But I think he really knocked it out of the park with The Dark Knight and, of course, Heath Ledger as the Joker, as, as the villain, which was an amazing performance. And then I think, again, The Dark Knight Rises was a little bit more flaring out or it was too much of everything again. So I, I think that the Batman movies, they're nice and I think they were undoubtedly highly influential for all these comic movies to come because he really took this comic universe seriously and he really treated it as a grown-up topic. And I think before that, comic movies were seen for teenage boys or it was more goofy and... I think this was a great switch in, in paving the way also for more mature and adult uh, comic movies, so to speak. I, I do agree with you, even though I have to say that if I look at the Nolan films I've seen, it's actually the Batman movies that I least remember. Maybe because they happened in a universe that was already created. And then I, I watched them and I liked them. They were really impressive as well and overwhelmingly produced. But I think if I look at Nolan's films, I much more liked his universe unique own stories with worlds that he created from scratch. I think those are the ones that really stuck to my mind, whereas I don't really remember, you know, what the difference between the different movies in the Batman trilogy. I can remember certain characters and, and moments and they, that they were impressive, but uh, he wouldn't be one that I would see as a franchise director, interestingly enough, because he was also considered and talked mm -hmm. about in connection with for instance, the James Bond movies. And I think once we talk about Tenet, that might be an interesting topic to talk about because many people have said, well, it's an, it's a spy thriller. It's a take on James Bond. And I don't know if you, we want to get started on talking about Tenet. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear Holocaust. No. Something worse. I think we will go into some spoilers, so I think we should just alert our listeners that uh, what we're going to discuss now contains spoilers of the movie Tenet and uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet please watch it and if you want to have an unspoiled um, experience if you haven't seen it yet then <laughs> switch off the, the podcast now. Right, just push the pause button, go to the cinema and come back. Um, by the way, how did you enjoy being back at the cinema? I know you've gone back to Film Podium and seen some classic scenes, but how was it for you seeing a movie back at the cinema that was fresh off the press? It was a really nice experience. I think I went the first weekend it came out and the cinema was quite full. And of course, everyone was wearing um, uh, masks and there were health and safety regulations intact. But I think it's a small thing to wear a mask while when you go into a cinema and you sit down and then you're sitting there for two hours. I think it's not that much of a big difference. 
it was great to see a, a brand new movie, a premiere in, in a big cinema again. And I think after being a lot of times in cinemas with programming and in classics. So it was great and I hope that we will get many more movies. But of course, it always depends how situations evolve. I'm not quite sure, and maybe we can discuss this later. I think the expectations were tremendously high for this movie to be the, the massive blockbuster and that everyone would run and go and see it. I'm not sure if it really happened now or if... I'm not sure he really could keep this promise or keep the expectations. Right. I, I had the same impression at first. I thought there were many people at the cinema. I saw it just a couple of days ago, so it had already been at the cinema for a couple of weeks. And then I realized, of course, it's practically the only new movie you can see in town. So those were the people who normally go to all kinds of different movies and now there's basically only Tenet on. And I'm not sure if, if they can live up to those expectations in terms of revenue and, and success. But certainly in terms of the style of movie, the type of movie, it was a great first big movie to be back on screen because it has all the aspects that we love about watching a movie at the cinema, the images, the soundscapes, the music, the action and the excitement. So I think what a great movie to restart, hopefully, cinema post-corona. Shall we talk about the James Bond aspect? Because of course I'm looking forward immensely to another movie coming out hopefully in November, No Time to Die, and many people have argued in their reviews that it's basically Christopher Nolan's James Bond film. And he was talked about as a possible director a couple of years ago or a couple of times even. So to what extent is it like a James Bond movie and to what extent isn't it? It really starts off as, as this spy movie. And I think there are really a lot of elements that link it clearly to James Bond or the James Bond franchise. The vast location changes. So we, one minute we're in India, the next we're on the Italian coast, the next scene we're somewhere in Estonia, then we're back in Norway. So I think every scene, a new country, a new landscape, which is directed very elegantly and grand and rich, I think is something that absolutely evokes these links to James Bond. The main character, played by John David Washington, feels like a very modern, fresh take on a spy in, a, in an action movie. Somehow these red herrings or like this MacGuffin that he goes from one informant to the next and he's trying to find what he's looking for, which I think is for a long time not that clear, neither to him nor to the audience, I would say. So he goes to different people in different countries to get more pieces of information and then getting closer to the villain. And I think all this setup. and for me, watching the movie, it was really, I would say the first half, maybe a little less, was really a classical spy thriller, where you have a spy, he's traveling all around the world, he's doing some action scenes, he has some fights, he's doing some surveillance, he's breaking in in this tower in India, for example. It's really well done, and I think it, it really felt like a great movie that potentially also could be a James Bond. I had the same impression. I thought this is really a classic spy thriller. And of course, apart from James Bond, the closest association I had was with the excellent TV series based on John Le Carré's novel, The Night Manager, starring Tom Hiddleston. And actually, 
another actress who's also in Tenet, Elizabeth Debicki, has the same constellation of main characters, basically. There's this agent that infiltrates an organization. There is the, the damsel in distress who has a, a child and is somehow under pressure of with this love for this child and then does all kinds of things for the bad guy who's played by a very strong actor uh, Hugh Laurie in The Night Manager and here it's Kenneth Branagh so I thought this was basically a, a take on The Night Manager and I was actually surprised to see some of the scenes almost mirroring what's in that TV show and I thought hmm Nolan has certainly you know, been inspired by that production. Been, been binge-watching as well during... <laughs> well, yeah, which is, you know, yeah. it's great because The Night Manager is fantastic and why not open up those ideas and those elements to a wider audience. But then, as you said, after the intermission, it turned into something completely different. And I think that's when Nolan comes in and because there's such a meta level in his cinema, I must assume that that was intentional. You know, it starts up very classically with elements that you've seen before, constellations you've seen before. And then with just a few hints in the first half, you of course get into the Nolan time-bending universe that we mentioned before from other movies. And we get something that I never quite understand the first time round. Still have to wrap my head around, you know, after the movie, but which is completely fascinating. The idea that somehow Kenneth Branagh has managed to influence the present from the future. And then these elements from the future interact with the present. And John David Washington figures this out slowly, how this works, and then interferes with it up until the, the big finale. And somehow it seems to make sense at the very end with, you know, visual hints and the soundtrack and so on. Yeah. But but I never quite get it. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not smart enough for these quantum physics, time-bending ideas that he has, but aren't they, like, absolutely mesmerizing? I'm not quite on the same page, I think, with you there. It was a little bit the same problem I also had already in Interstellar, was that this, what you mentioned, is mind-bending, or also for me, it's more like this science jabber, where characters are just talking for two, three minutes, some random words. And, and they, they're trying to explain you something and it doesn't really make sense or you don't really understand what they're saying. But as an audience, you're just expected to go with it. This was probably the major problem I had with Tanet, that it, it set up these time-bending, reversed, inverted functions and, and things that gun goes back and, and then later in the movie, the people go through these time tunnels somehow and they go back in time, but actually they're going... And it's explained somehow in the sense that, like, this is just what it is. You just go with it as an audience, but also as, as the main character. Because I think we go with John David Washington through this process of understanding and then Robert Pattinson's character, who has been in the know basically from the beginning, he's like, like oh, yeah, this is, this is how you do it and this is how you do that and you need the face mask and then you go there and you need to go with the movement. And I think it's just a lot of blah-de-blah. -blah. Somehow it makes sense in the end, but also somehow not. I was not convinced on all these points and I think also travel i don't know i think there's yeah you, i don't really think it has to do with the audience's intelligence i think it also has to do with how you present it in the movie and how it makes sense within the movie 
itself and in the narrative itself. If we compare it with other movies he did in the past, like Inception or also Interstellar, there I think it makes more sense in the end. There I think every piece comes together very nicely in the end. And with Tenet, I was not quite convinced that it also worked the same way. I, I Somehow I was like, okay, you just, you just pretend you know what you're doing <laughs> there, Christopher Nolan, but you... You just, you expect us just to, to go with it. Absolutely. I can see that, how you felt like that. I was just in that Christopher Nolan mode again, where I know I'm not going to understand most of it. I'm fascinated by it. And from what I've read, they also really thought about these concepts. There was an interview with John David Washington that I just read yesterday, where he talks about how they went through weeks and weeks of wrapping their minds around the basic ideas of the plot. But of course, that doesn't have to mean that everything does make sense and is probable. I think what's fascinating about Nolan is that it's this balance that he strikes, because obviously it's it's fiction. I mean, Inception was fiction mm -hmm. too, but mm -hmm. is it believable enough in its complexity that you go with it? And maybe if you say as an, as an audience member, you didn't go with it, you had your doubts that this actually made sense, then probably he didn't achieve his goal as well as he did in Inception, where you actually go along with this idea of them going into different layers of time and depth, and then they come back out of it. I think that construction of Inception is so perfect because in a way, the abstract idea of there being three, four levels and you go down and you go up again, you wake up in this and this and this level, I think in a way makes sense, even though it's fictitious. Yes. Whereas with Tenet, I think, you know, you want to somehow understand it with this present and past and future influence. But then at the same time, there's this Kenneth Branagh baddie who's linked to a post-Soviet past and who has his, you know, present plot and he feels much more like a real-life James Bond baddie. And then there's this future thing that he has discovered. I, I just thought the construction of the plot maybe was a little bit too out there and wanted to do too much at the same time and that was maybe the the problem um, that you had and that i ignored don't try to understand it feel it it'll happen here hasn't happened yet go along with it. I mean, of course, you watch it and you're like, okay, now this is, I mean, I think it's in many Nolan movies, you watch it and only in the end, you can somehow piece the puzzle together and you understand, ah, okay, what I saw in the beginning is, is linked to that. And I think he does that really great, for example, also in a movie like The Prestige, where you watch scenes in the beginning and they only make sense in the end when you have like a twist or you have like, a, everything comes together. And I think in Tenet, I felt that it didn't come together as it probably should have. What was exactly what they were after? Or I mean, okay, in the end, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's villain wants to blow up the whole universe somehow with his own death. But I think the stakes, to me at least, were never that clear in a way. And I think also the whole, they, they tried to make it a little bit more personal and emotional with Elizabeth uh, Debicki's character and her child and the dilemma she was in. But I think this was also not really convincing, at least to me. I think it was a little bit 
to construct it and also some dialogue she had was borderline cringy. There were really a lot of great elements and I was really on board the first half of the movie even further down the lane. But once the credit rolled, I was like, it should have been rounder, it should have been more of a punch somehow. There were a lot of great things, but in the end, I think there was really this moment of surprise wasn't quite there. And I think you touch on something quite important, the emotional investment that we have with the movie. And I think that was part of its problem that John David Washington's character is a kind of a cool customer for most of the movie and that we are involved mostly with Debiki, not really the child because we hardly ever see the child and her relationship with Kenneth Branagh who's like a classic villain. He's very strong, I thought. I'm not always convinced by Branagh's production and his, his acting. Sometimes I think it's over the top and annoying. But here he was, he was really impressive. He convinced me as this post-Soviet villain with a sinister plot and with knowing everything in advance and being so sly about, you know, what, what was still in store for everyone involved. But it wasn't as involving, for instance, as the same construction of characters in The Night Manager that I mentioned, where you really go along with it and you're really fascinated by this spy plot because you care about the characters, including the spy and including the villains and some other characters. And I think that worked so well in Inception for me, because DiCaprio was the main character and his relationship to his wife, who was somehow buried in all these layers of, of memories and, and time, that was really at the center of things. And it made sense that he then, at the end, you know, brought it up and it all linked together with his relationship, the, the time bending, his mission, the mission of the others. And it all depended on how he decided uh, emotionally and what he was actually hiding emotionally that's affected the entire plot. And I think, again, it's construction of the screenplay. Everything worked in Inception, bringing it together. And with Tenet, it was a spy plot with some interesting characters, but the center of it, like who was John David Washington actually? And what was his mission at the beginning? Who were those characters involved at the beginning? And the guy with, you know, the little trinket on the back of his backpack. I just didn't get it. And part of that might be, you know, lack of intellect as an audience member. And the other thing might be that maybe it was too convoluted. Maybe you, and you didn't care enough to really want to find out and make all the links that were presented. I don't think it's the lack of intelligence of the audience. I think you're pushing yourself too low. Maybe. <laughs> um, on that one. Because I really think, and they, you made a great point on this emotionality and, and this comparison with Inception is perfect because it really shows what is missing in Tanit. And it's not Elizabeth Debicki's character and her story of the son is not making up for the lack of John David Washington's character, who's on the front, this suave, uh, funny, very strong spy, but there's nothing really behind it somehow. And I think, surprisingly for me, Robert Pattinson was was a great discovery in this movie because I think he was the one who always seemed to know more and he gave his character more depth than I would have anticipated and I think he was quite an interesting 
figure somehow throughout the movie and he I really liked him which I didn't expect to but also his character remains ultimately rather flat and I think that's that's probably also why it doesn't take this this punch in the end as, as Inception did for example mm -hmm. and despite all the production values you know the great locations the fantastic architecture that is shown throughout the movie of course special effects the use of music and, and soundscapes despite all that I think what's also lacking there is an interesting context an interesting background it's somehow rooted in a world that could all also be just the uh, post-1989. You know, they are in, in the Ukraine at the beginning, which maybe harks back to the U Ukraine conflict, but could also be just after the Soviet Union comes down. And then there is Kenneth Branagh as this Russian baddie from the post-Soviet years. He could also be in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Minus the yacht. <laughs> Where is the yacht? There's no grounding in reality, as you say it. I don't expect this movie to be highly political or to tackle current topics, but it doesn't really feel related to anything, just like you said. And that's why also maybe it didn't really work, because there, what, are, what were the stakes? You don't really understand the stakes. You don't really understand the organization behind. And of course, Kenneth Branagh was this great villain, but... Ultimately, what was he... I mean, okay, he had like this bomb in the end and wanted to blow off everything because he couldn't have... He was terminally ill, if I remember correctly, so he wanted to explode the yacht he was on and with it, everyone on the planet. The stakes were really weird in a way. And all over the place. Yeah, I think this like it, it got to a point where it was a little bit too convoluted, too messy and... Somehow you also then really don't really connect. And I think this harks back to what we discussed before, that you don't have an emotional connection to the characters, not to the main character, not to the, the female protagonist. But you also don't really understand the, the universe they move in, the world they live in. It's not really something you relate to in a way. It's like, okay, you have these flashy scenes and these beautiful coastlines of Italy, but, but it doesn't really remain and i think now i have seen the movie two weeks ago a little bit more and there are already a lot of things i forgot i've seen it two days ago and now you mentioned a couple of things that i had already forgotten so it doesn't get any any easier after a few days but let me maybe make a connection to a movie we've both also seen just recently which was Bernardo Bertolucci's Il Conformista because strangely enough I made some connection between Tenet and that movie when I saw it yesterday because that is rooted in a historical context that is super interesting fascist Italy in the 1930s and there's also kind of a, a strong male character at the center that has a very strong emotional background and you know exactly and you discover where he's coming from. There are really interesting female characters also in opposition to each other. It's very clear what the stakes are. At the same time, everything is about characters. Mm -hmm. And what, what made me make that connection was that it's also a movie that is highly stylized using you know strong elements such as architecture and camera angles and to some extent action scenes or um, highly dramatic scenes but it completely works and at the end it's devastating as well in terms of what, what happens and what the outcome is of all this build-up and all this construction of plots and flashbacks 
and so on. So that for me was an interesting counterpiece to see after Tenet because that completely works. I think also the Il Conformista has also this change of chronology and it's telling the story in, in flashbacks and for and you get pieces of information of things that happen later or already happened. So I think also there it's not a, a chronological telling of the story. And at the core, it's also a, a spy story in a way. He he goes from, from fascist Italy to Paris to kill his former mentor in a way and his wife. And at the core, it's a very straightforward spy story or spy thriller in a way. But there are so many layers of, of the characters, as you say. And considering that it's a movie that was produced 50 years ago, exactly, you know, compare 1970 to 2020, production values have, have come a long way. But has storytelling come a long way? And if you compare those two movies, you have to say, well, at, in the end, it's all about credibility and involvement with, with a plot. And again, again, of course, that's what we come back to when we compare classics to new releases. So it was really interesting to talk about something that just came out. Yes, and I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it, def it necessarily needs a tragic backstory or something that happened in the protagonist's past that makes him the way he is. So I think, I mean, if you look now at Tenet, I, I don't think I really needed a complete round backstory of John David Washington's character, but still the character needs to be relatable and it needs to be human in a way. And I think there it really somehow got lost. You you watch it, it's it's it, in the beginning it's this nice spy thriller and then it gets this all this science fiction inversion of time and it, it, it somehow gets more and more convoluted and I think it doesn't really find a decent way out of it. But still, we're looking forward to whatever Christopher Nolan comes up with next because, I mean, there are stronger movies and weaker movies and maybe Tenet in his filmography is not among the stronger movies, but certainly it's an interesting entry into those you know, other 10 and in a way consistent with what he's developed and continues to develop. So we'll have to see what comes out next. So I think despite all we've discussed now, I think Tenet is still a great movie to watch in a cinema. And I think there are a lot of movies lined up still that hopefully make it uh, in the coming month to the cinemas. Do you have any particular favorites? Well, it's so obvious, but I'll say it again. No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie. They've put out new trailers and posters, and it really looks as if they're going to release it on November 12th, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that's the big one looming in the future that I'm really looking forward to and can't wait until it's finally out. What about you? Definitely as well, The Bond. I think I'm looking forward to also Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, the Agatha Christie uh, reinterpretation starring Army Hammer and Gal Gadot and Annette Bening. So there's like this uh, star cast lined up. I'm still waiting for Wonder Woman 1984, of course. Yeah, just I think the experience watching a movie in the big theater is something that I, I don't want to miss and I hope we can continue to have more and more also premieres in the near future. Well, and I think we'll strike a balance as well in our podcast in the future to talking about new releases. So I can't wait to also talk Bond with you again in November, but also to rewatch our favorite classics and, and get into some new territory in past cinema. 
So can't wait for that. Absolutely. So thank you everyone for listening and I hope you tune in next time when we are again ready for close up. That part is a little dramatic. Last time it went no tennis. We did PG-13.